with that said, I want to tell you about today's message. Uh, I had 13 pages written, ready to go, from John 12. And I drove into work yesterday to finalize it, and I'm not going to preach a word of those 13 pages. Um, God is, I'm, I'm t- I told 8.30, I said, you're my guinea pig to see how this goes. Uh, God, God began to, 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 as I was looking through something that was un, like unrelated, I just felt like this, this was worthy. This, this shows the beauty of, of God's word. And I think for those of you who might be new to church, this might clarify some things. And for those of you who've been in church maybe your whole life, I believe this might be something new for you that will challenge you. So with that said, let me tell you. Robert Anderson was born on May 29th, 1841. He grew up in a Christian home, yet he always had doubts and struggles, he said. He always had these questions, even into his adulthood, about his faith in Jesus. And he was invited at one point um, to a a traveling revival, where he listened to a a revivalist preacher named John Hall. And Robert Anderson says he was struck by Mr. Hall's preaching about salvation, uh, forgiveness in heaven, and he had all these doubts. He had these questions. And so as soon as the revival was over that night, and, and some of those revivals in the South, they go, they go a long time. Um, he, he was in the South, actually. But he, he, um, he made a beeline for Mr. Hall, and he grabbed him, and he said, can we talk? And he assailed him with all these questions and these doubts. And, and, and they began to walk, and they walked down the sidewalk. They were walking the same way. And he just continued and continued to ask him all these questions. And finally, uh, he said, Mr. Hall just stopped in the middle of the sidewalk and got face to face with me. He gave this inter- Robert gave this interview to the London Gazette, and he said this. He said it was with, with great seriousness that Mr. Hall said to me, I tell you, as a minister of Christ and in his name, that there is life for you here and now if you will accept Jesus. Will you accept Christ, or you, will you reject him? And Robert Anderson says, after a pause, how prolonged, I do not know. I exclaimed, in God's name, I accept Jesus. He said, not not another word passed between us, but after a pause, he shook my hand and left, and I turned homewards with the peace of God flooding my heart. Years later, Robert Anderson graduated with a law degree and went on to be the long-standing assistant commissioner of the Scotland Yard. He actually worked on the Jack the Ripper case. He was a lawyer and investigator, and in his spare time, he loved investigating the Bible. He loved prophecy especially, and he, he began to delve into one specific prophecy, a prophecy that Sir Isaac Newton at one point said, we could stake the truth of Christianity on this prophecy alone. A prophecy Robert Anderson would write a book about, and if you're curious about what I'm going to be talking about today, the book is called The Coming Prince by Robert Anderson. The book is about prophecy found in Daniel 9. The ancient prophet Daniel was a captive. He, in his youth, he was taken to Babylon, but there he rose in the ranks based on his wisdom and God's favor upon him. He received authority. He became respected. And in Daniel 9 was written around 522 BC, 500 years before Jesus was even on the earth. And in the chapter Daniel 9, Daniel is praying through Jeremiah's prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. And Daniel prays, as he prays his prayer, as he prays the prayer, Jerusalem is desolate. The temple is, is ruined. He's praying, God, when will you restore your city? When will you restore your temple? When will you restore your people? At the end of his prayer, something curious happens in Daniel 9 verse 20. We can read it. While I was speaking and praying, I was confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and making my request 
to the Lord my God for his holy hill, that is Jerusalem. While I was still standing in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out. That word went out from the throne of God. Gabriel is coming with a word from God. As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Daniel is praying for, for, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, and, and Gabriel shows up and says, I've been given a word from the throne to tell you. And here's the word, verse 25. No one understand this. From the time, catch the carefully, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, Messiah, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. We're all on the same page, right? We get this. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, there, there it is. I just close it up. I mean, listen, you gotta catch this. From the time that the word goes out, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. We have two events prophesied about here. The first one is this, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. There's gonna be a word that goes out. It's gonna be rebuilt, restored. And number two, the anointed one, the ruler, the Messiah, will present himself in some way. Rebuilding of the temple and the coming of the Messiah. Do you see why this prophecy is so big? Do you see why it's so, so important? Even Sir Isaac Newton would say that Jerusalem restored and the Messiah appearing. And then we have this seven sevens and 62 sevens, which in our modern Western mind and language, that's just math, right? I mean, what does that mean? Robert Anderson, an investigator at Scotland Yard, he threw himself into investigating this prophecy. And guess what? There are many commentators, there are many authorities on the Bible, there are many sages who believe that he cracked the code. That he cracked the code about what this means. So, uh, to make a long, long explanation of prophetic writing and these numbers short, I'm gonna tell you this. The seven sevens and 62 sevens is a specific period of time in years, okay? If we add them up, we get 69 sevens, right? That's what we get. That's how many years it would be from the moment the declaration to rebuild the temple to the coming of the Messiah. So a little math. What is 69 times seven? And I know you guys are so far ahead of me. You already, you already know it's 483 years. I'm not surprising anybody with this teaching. I know. 483 years after the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah will present himself. Now, applying his investigative mind and, and Robert Anderson knowing that the ancient lunar calendar only had 360 days in a year, he multiplied 360 times 69. And again, you're ahead of me. You know he got 173,880 days. 173,880 days. Gabriel speaking for God said, from the time the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, 173,880 days after that, well, something pretty significant is going to happen. Something's going to happen with the anointed one and the, and the, and the ruler, the Messiah. 173,880 days after the word was given to rebuild the temple. Now, somewhere in this investigation was the moment where Robert Anderson jumped to his feet in astonishment before falling to his knees in worship. 
because we know the exact day the word was declared to rebuild the temple. It's in the Bible. We know the day that would start the 173,880 day countdown. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king Anaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, also, Nehemiah is also a Hebrew exile for Artaxerxes. He said, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, Jerusalem in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king, Artaxerxes, said to me, what is it you want? And I prayed to God in heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Artaxerxes gives the word, and this is the exact day that the word went out to rebuild Jerusalem. So the question is, what happens? Um, on the what happens 173,880 173, days beyond this day? Our calendar would mark that day um, as March 14th, 445 BC, when the word went out. March 14th, 445 BC. So if you add 173,880 days to March 14th, 445 BC, you arrive at April 6th, 32 AD. That tells you all you need to know, right? We got it. April 6th, 32 AD. Now, the question we're all asking is, okay, okay, like, what is it? What happened? But I just want to say this. How do we even know what happened on April 6th? Like, is, is somebody keeping a diary? Like, and where does it happen? Like, how do we know? And I'll just say this. Two weeks ago, I preached about this day. Two weeks ago, I preached on this. And now I want to fill it out. I didn't have time for this. I want to fill it out with something new Gabriel said that the anointed one, the Messiah, would be presented on that day. John 12, 1 tells us that six days before Passover, six days before Passover, Jesus went to Bethany and met Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Remember, and Mary washed his feet with the oil. Now, now, six days before Passover in the year 32 AD, that's April 5th. That's not the 6th. That's only 173,879 days, says the declaration. So, so, so what happened the next day? John 12, verse 12. The next day, a great crowd had come before the for the festival and heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. 173,880 days from Artaxerxes when his word went forth, Jesus, the Passover lamb, rode to Jerusalem while the people around him declared him ruler, anointed one, and Messiah, king who they asked to save him. He was presented, that was the day, if you remember me teaching this, that was Passover lamb selection day, when everybody, every Hebrew family would be selecting their Passover lamb, and he presents himself on Passover lamb selection day, and on that day, he's declared king by the people in the crowd. The prophecies were available to the Hebrew scribes and sages. Why did Robert Anderson discover it when they didn't? I mean, here we have Jesus. He's doing Messiah miracles. 
He's, 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 he's doing things only the Messiah could do. And 173,880 days post the, the, the declaration of the rebuild, the sages and priests, they don't want him king. They want him dead. They're, they're trying to kill him. They missed it. You see, in some ways, this could have been and should have been the day when the nation of Israel was waiting at the eastern gate, waiting for their Messiah to reveal himself based on the prophecies. But they didn't. And I believe this gives us new 100% context for something in Luke about that donkey ride. Jesus is on the donkey, and it says this in Luke, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. And they will dash you to the ground and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. You didn't recognize. Jesus crests this hill. He sees Jerusalem and he weeps over it. There's no nation gathered to welcome a Messiah. He's weeping over those who had missed it. He says, had you only known this day would bring you but you did not recognize the time of God's coming. The original language, Jesus says this, you did not recognize the moment of, the visit, of your visitation. You missed it. You didn't recognize the moment of visitation. And because they missed it, they're going to miss out on much more. Now, some missed it out of indifference and some missed it out of ignorance. Whatever the reason, Jesus weeps over those who had the chance to receive him as Messiah. They had the opportunity to receive him as Messiah, and they didn't recognize the moment. They didn't recognize the opportunity. They didn't recognize the day and the time of their visitation. And I want to pause here and just say two really important things. There are those of you listening right now online and here in this room. At this very moment, Jesus is offering you an opportunity, if you recognize it, to declare Jesus as king of your life. To declare Jesus as Messiah. To welcome him as Messiah into your life. That today, in the next few minutes, you're gonna have a moment to recognize the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Messiah. Jesus came fulfilling prophecies. He presented himself sinless as the sacrifice for our sins. And if you recognize the opportunity and receive him today, you get forgiveness of your sins, of your past, your present, and your future. And I do believe in the end of days, the end of time, there will be those who have refused Jesus their whole life and he will leave them to that decision, failing to recognize him as Messiah. And I think he will weep then too. I don't have any proof of that, but just seeing the heart of Jesus here on display, I believe he will weep for those who had the opportunity to receive him as Messiah, and they missed it. Out of indifference, or because they didn't want it. But for those who step into these moments, for those who step into faith, who recognize the divine opportunity to declare Jesus my Messiah, my Savior, you will be saved. And when you someday pass from this world and when you stand before God, you will not be judged based on your sin. You'll be, based, you'll be judged based on Jesus' sacrifice. When God looks at you, he will see, not see any of your bad works and he won't, look, he won't see your good works. He will see the great work of Jesus. And that, that is all that you want. 
You will not be judged by your sin. You'll be judged by, based on Jesus, and he will receive you in as a beloved daughter, as a beloved son for all eternity. And let me be clear, the Bible, and let me be very clear, Jesus himself declares there is no other path. There is no back door. There's no loophole into eternity. It is through Jesus alone. He states this very clearly. Listen, if I'm a loving God, I don't send my son to die if there's a back door. I just tell people to go that way. If you have a kid, you don't send your children to die if there's another way. He is the Savior, the Savior, the Messiah, high and lifted up, the one way to an eternity with God Almighty. And he gave up his life willingly. He died on a cross so that human, no matter your sin, can come to faith in him and his love and his salvation. And his promise is this, that you get forgiveness in your past, you get peace in your present, and you get hope in your future. And not just someday eternal future, tomorrow future. He infuses your life with, with forgiveness and peace and hope. That's why he says, you get to live life and life to the full here on earth and then eternity. It isn't just Jesus died. Everybody dies. He rose again. And therefore, the living Savior, the living Messiah calls you to him in salvation. And this offer to receive Jesus as the Messiah is available to you today. And I don't know why God had me change this sermon but I can only imagine this because somebody, listen, your path through your life has ended you up here in this room or right now watching online and you need to hear this. This is the moment of opportunity for you. The moment of your visitation to finally say, I will receive you. I will declare you, Jesus. You are my savior. You are Messiah. I will receive you. I place my faith in you. And perhaps today as you're watching or you are here, you want to pray this for the first time. To finally say, I put my, Jesus, I need you. I declare you Messiah. Or maybe, listen, your journey's been different and you have wandered. And maybe at some youth camp someday you made a decision, but you have wandered. And it's not that, it's not that Jesus has, salvation has gone away. It's that you today want to re-engage your faith and declare once again, you are my Messiah. Whatever you are feeling in your spirit right now, my prayer is this, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and that you are feeling that because Jesus wants you to receive his salvation. So I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. And whether you're at home or whether you're here, this is your opportunity to declare Jesus Christ as your Messiah, as your Savior. So we will all pray together. We will confess with our lips and believe in our heart. He died and rose again. So let's pray with me. Jesus, I need you. I know you died on a cross and you rose again. I give you my life. Forgive me my sins. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you prayed that, for the first time, or maybe this was a time that mattered to you more than ever, will you email me? I think my, my personal email, daniel at theorchardlife.com is in your bulletin. Will you email me? I'd love just to talk with you about that. The second reason I go through all this prophecy and all, the, all this is because history, through the Bible elevates Jesus above all things. The entire Old Testament points to him. 
And here at the orchard, we elevate Jesus. We want Jesus to be high and lifted up above all politics, all personalities, all politicians, all any, anything on this earth and in this culture and in this world. We say Jesus above all. We endorse Jesus. And the word of God does the same thing. It elevates Jesus at every turn. The Bible, God's word, is a divine masterwork. I mean, I just want us to pause and think about what we've just heard today. That in 522 BC, Daniel is living in Jeremiah's prophecy. He receives another prophecy about uh, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then a timetable to some significant moment with the Messiah. And then about 444 BC, Nehemiah, who's also um, in exile from his, he's a Hebrew in exile. He's probably unaware of Daniel's prophecy. He, he starts pinning his book and puts times in there. The rebuilding, the declaration day. And then seven sevens and 62 sevens later, 173,880 days to the very day. Day, Jesus arrives on Lamb Selection Day, presenting himself as Messiah, the Anointed One. Five centuries apart. I mean, civilizations have come and gone. Kingdoms have risen and fallen. And yet the prophecies and the plan and the destiny of God fits perfectly into place. God's word is worth your study. It's worth your time. Robert Anderson was not a preacher. He didn't go to seminary. Yet about 2,300 years after Daniel penned the prophecy, Robert sought God and discovered this striking reality. Orchard, as a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, God's word needs to be a part of our daily spiritual nourishment. In the word of God, we find his very nature on display. He has wisdom in here for your work. Are you facing difficult decisions? He has wisdom in here for your work. He has, he has refinement in here for your character. He has help for you in your parenting and your marriage. He wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. He understands. Listen, a God who can, who can weave throughout time and centuries these prophecies, do you think he's confused about what's going on in your life? Do you think he's taken back by surprise when something comes down to you? Listen, God knows your destiny. He knows your calling. He knows your purpose. He's calling you again today. I firmly believe that today God is calling you into a new destiny and purpose to step forward. You have giftedness. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your, uh, on either side. It doesn't matter your sin. Thank God he does not define us. That sin does not define us. But he's calling you into a new calling, a new purpose, a new destiny to step up with the gifts you have, the, pa the, the passions you have, the way he's created you to make a difference in this world. Because at the end of days, when we do stand before God, I take nothing with me, nothing that I've worked on. And between then and now, I want to tell as many people about Jesus as I can so that, so my prayer is that they're there too. And you don't have to be a preacher. That is all of us. You will talk to people that never give me the opportunity. So Orchard, God's word declares Jesus and our church declares Jesus. But we need to go forth boldly declaring that. To love him, to be his hands and feet, to go out and to be his, his voice to speak. To love God and truly love people. I encourage you so much to get into God's word. Once a week on Sunday leads to a spiritual anemia. I would encourage.
encourage you to read the Word of God. If you need help with a translation, if you need help with where to start, you know what? Ask Dr. David Carson. Ask, ask Corson. Ask David. Ask me. Email the. Ask my dad. Email. Ask your growth group leader. Ask anyone. We can help. But but let's be a people of God who who are rooted in His Word. Because have you seen today? Just how worthy, how beautiful, how precise it is. And it wants to speak to you still. Jesus fulfilled over 300, at least 300 prophecies. When we get to heaven, we'll see all of it. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies. This was just one of them that reached down through centuries. Did you know that Jesus fulfilling just 48 messianic prophecies, um, the odds of that are one in 10 to the 50, 157th power? And I am no math person, so I had to look it up that that's one in one with 157 zeros behind it just to do 48. And he fulfilled over 300. I I mean, I believe that someday when our our perspective is perfected in heaven, we're going to look back through time and see how God's word just connected all these things. But you're also going to see in your life how he's been connecting all these things. And again, calling you to step out into new destiny, new purpose. But until that day, Until that day, let us be found a church of people, wherever you are, who are loving God and who are loving people and who are rooting ourselves in God's word, not the news. Who are rooting ourselves in God's word, not the culture, not the world. Because when the storm hits, I want to be on solid ground. I want us to take communion together today. And so if you do not have a communion cup, we have, um, right here, we have, uh, down here, we have some. We also have people walking around with it. Go ahead and grab communion. If you are new to the orchard and you're wondering um, how we do communion, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to do that. We're going to remember him today. You still have time. If you, if you don't have one, come grab a handful. And for those of you who have it, go ahead and take out the wafer. Hold it in your hands. Don't take it yet. You know, this is the symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And when I take communion, I like to break it, remembering that my Savior was broken. This is a reminder that Jesus gave himself for salvation. And before we take communion, I want you to just pause, even if you're at home, pause and have a moment where you thank him for his sacrifice, and then you ask him forgiveness for sins. And if specific things come up, give that to him. Ask his forgiveness. So take a second. God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Take And the juice, which is the symbol of the shed blood of Jesus. And if you've been with us in this John series, you've known that this is the the symbol of the new covenant he made with God, declaring you a beloved daughter, beloved son because of Jesus' work, that his blood was shed for our forgiveness and healing. And so Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. And there are many in this room or listening who need healing. There are many who couldn't be here, who are in hospital rooms right now who need healing. God, we pray that your healing would be present And Father, we also thank you for your blood shed for our forgiveness. Take and drink.
Micah did not know I was changing the sermon until today, so she was preparing for a different sermon, the music. But the song is perfect in the way God works it out. It's called Love Came Down. And it's so amazing to think about when, he, when Daniel was writing that, when Gabriel was telling him, he was writing about love coming down. The love came down and rescued me. And that we're God's forever. And so as we stand in a minute in worship, I want to remind you, Orchard, that worship is not about how well you sing. And if you're worried about it or you're proud of your voice, maybe stop singing and just mouth the words because worship is about your heart declaring Jesus King and that love came down. So let's stand together and let's worship Jesus.